We'll read God's word. Uh, we will start with verse number 28 in chapter 16 of Matthew and read to 1720. Um, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of God. Amen. As uh, Anders comes up, um, let uh, me pray for us uh, that we may have ears to hear and uh, pray for Anders that he may preach faithfully. Father God, you have blessed us with the beautiful gospels full of your heart for us and the amazing life and grace of Jesus. Give us ears to hear your life-changing word and help Anders to faithfully Proclaim your word to us, and may we see your heart in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Andres, for praying for me and for us. Indeed, without, without the Spirit's help, I can accomplish nothing useful, and, and, and we, without the Spirit's help, would just be listening to words... Um, just human words. Uh, may I add my welcome if you have arrived since the beginning or if you're visiting and a guest here. 
It's a particular joy to welcome all those who are new here. My name is Andis, and I am the pastor here at Grace Church. Um, as it already ha- um, was, was mentioned, we have hit the pause on, in our Roman series, and, and in these weeks running up to Easter, uh, we will take a closer look at the person and work of Jesus um, in the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Well, true, true. Here at Grace International, we want to make sure that we preach the Gospel every week, not just in Christmas, not just in Easter, but every week. But because the Gospel is so multi, multi-faceted, you know, diamond, we don't always get to devote all our time to the person and work uh, of Jesus. And, and so we, maybe, maybe you have joined us here at Grace um, since Christmas when we did a very similar thing. We were looking at the person and work of Jesus from the first two chapters in Matthew. Matthew presented us with the baby Jesus as the long-promised king. Do you remember what the angel of the Lord said to to Joseph um, regarding the baby Jesus? There in chapter 1, here here are the the angel's words. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So this is what we are continued to do, starting from chapter 17. We will take a closer look at the King Jesus, who is saving his people from their sins through his death and resurrection. But before we actually get to it, get to chapter 17... Well, let me flash out a particular difficulty with, um, with that, with, w- which we're facing today. And that is listening to ancient texts in the age of technology. Well, not that we need hearing aids or better glasses uh, to see or hear what the Bible says. No, the difficulty is in remembering that the scriptures, not the smartphones, communicate to us the ultimate reality. What do you listen to, or who do you listen to? I have just started reading a book called Digital Liturgies. It is basically about how technology is not neutral. It always has an agenda, that shapes our lives. And in doing so, technology sets up a rival reality, a better one, a more promising one, a more happy one. To illustrate, to illustrate um, his point, the author of the book used an example from a film called Inception. So I don't know whether you have seen Christopher Nolan's film Inception. It is a gripping sci-fi picture featuring a guy, Leonardo DiCaprio, the one who died on Titanic, who is able to hack into the people's dream world 
to manipulate their decision-making to one or the other end. As he and his team need to do a kind of really deep dream hack, they end up in this basement looking for a truly powerful sedative for, for that dream project to, to happen. And in that basement, they discover lots of people laying in their beds attached to the device that allows them to dream and dream at a ratio 1 to 12, one minute in the real world, 12 minutes um, in the dream world. And that's just the first level. Anyways, don't bother with details. The punchline, though, is in the answer to DiCaprio's question to the overseeing guy. Do they come here to sleep? No, says the man. They come here to wake up. Their dream world has become their ultimate reality. Well, do you think it is a complete fiction? Well, think again. Think again. What do you see when you get on the bus in the morning? Uh, or you come into a coffee shop. Look around at the people on the break between the lessons at school or between the lectures in your university course. What do you see? You see people who are in a parallel reality, in the digital world, concentrated in one place and one place only, in the palm of their hand. Smartphone. Well, that's where the real life is going on, right? That's where so many people feel truly alive, truly themselves. I mean, it is a scary prospect and yet so close to home. The point is, technology is not neutral. What we most utilize, what we most listen to, will shape our lives. I mean, there is so much more to be said about this, but I must somehow connect it to our today's passage, right? When is he gonna get to his point? So what do you listen to? Is it the scriptures or smartphones? Well, please look at our key verse today. It's going to be verse 5. God the Father himself audibly speaking from heaven. He does that two times in the Gospels, two times only. It's important, isn't it? Verse 5, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus has just spoken to his disciples about following him. If they truly want to do it, they must, Jesus says, deny themselves, take up their cross, and be ready to lose their lives. Of course, they could pursue another path. 16 verse 26, gaining the whole world. But then Jesus says they would forfeit their soul. Now, what will the disciples do? Whom are they going to listen to? Jesus' words or the world around them? Well, Jesus knows all thoughts. Jesus knows all doubts. He knows our questions. This is why Jesus wants to offer them and us today a vision of the ultimate reality. Jesus is coming back in his Father's glory with 
rewards for the faithful ones, as we see that in verse 28 of chapter 16. And this is how you will know it, that that's true. Come with me on the mountain, says Jesus, to these three, Peter, James, and John. This event, this event on the mountain, it should transform the disciples to an end that shapes, that molds their lives. It will impact their motivation to deny themselves, to be ready to lose their life now. So what will make the disciples actually listen to Jesus when they see Jesus for who he truly is. Not a carpenter rabbi from the Galilee, but God's glorious king. So here's the, the first point. Jesus is God's glorious king. I bet it's a, it's a familiar story. Jesus takes his three brightest um, up the mountain, and there Jesus is transfigured before them in heavenly radiance in the company of Moses and Elijah. Peter is so starstruck that he suggests sheltering all three. You know, sometimes Christians keep referring to this story as the, the mountaintop experience. You, you know those moments in our lives when, when it almost feels like God is tangibly working in all things for our good. It is so good. Everything goes well. You know those moments where you want to kind of love to escape to because it is so very good. Now, I don't want to disappoint you, but this is not about us and our experience with Jesus, not, not primarily. It is about Jesus and his glory. Jesus wants to teach all of us here something very important. It is so important that Father himself opens his mouth and says it. Look again at verse 5. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is God's glorious king. Well, I think disciples and us, we, we are today in, in somewhat similar situations. Although we live in completely different millenniums, we both have something important that has happened in the past. For the disciples, it was God's awesome revelation at the Sinai. Redemption and relationships with Israel all handed down from God to Moses through the law. For the disciples, God breaking again into the history of mankind to do something similar or even more glorious was almost unimaginable. Hard to believe. Now for us, for us, however, this very same event has become the foundation of our faith and of our confession. Jesus is God-man who has come to redeem us and through whom we can have the relationships with God. Well, the difficulty for us is to remember that there has never been anything more glorious than Jesus, and never will be. 
Jesus wants us all to have a peek into the ultimate reality. That of the glory of the risen Son of Man. Oh, what a sight this must have been. Verse 2, Jesus' face shining like a sun. You know, like a Mediterranean sun, not like a Latvian sun. I hear the sun is there, much more white, not so yellowish. You know, like a sun, his clothes becoming as white as the light. It feels like an intense experience, by all means. As they try to get their heads around Jesus' uh, you know, new looks, Verse 3, just then Moses and Elijah appeared. And while poor Peter, starstruck, was suggesting the permanent residency for all three, verse 4, the Father's voice from heaven interrupted him. Imagine the intensity of experience. This is my son. Listen to him. Far from this being the desired, desired mountaintop of experience, the disciples thought they were going to die. Verse 6. They, they, they thought they were going to die. Now what is the point of this miraculous encounter? Quickly, I think twofold. A, to reveal that bodily existence, uh, the bodily existence um, uh, exists after death. I mean, Moses and Elijah seemed pretty real to Peter. If he suggested making tents for them, indeed, friends, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. But secondly, the point is to show that Jesus is not on the same level with Moses and Elijah. Do you see, Peter was wrong to suggest building three tents for all of them. Jesus is much more glorious than that uh, of you know, Moses and Elijah. Think Moses and Elijah were God's mouthpiece to his people. Through Moses, the old covenant was established. With the help of Elijah, the very same covenant was enforced, meaning he was pointing people back to what happened at the Sinai. But what the Father's voice is suggesting is that Jesus is entirely in an entirely different league. Moses went up the mountain to receive God's revelation to his people. Jesus went up to the mountain to be acclaimed by God as the source of the revelation. Moses' face was reflecting God's glory that faded. Jesus' sunlight like glory remains forever. Moses led God's earthly people to the promised land. Jesus is leading God's heavenly people to the new creation, new heavens and new earth. God the Father is in fact spelling this out for the disciples in listen to him. The phrase should have rung bells for these three. The disciples should have expected yet another greater prophet than Elijah or Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, this famous, famous prophecy from the lips of Moses, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from, from your fellow Israelites. And hear how Moses finishes it. You must listen to him. 
So how glorious is Jesus in our eyes? Do you see how Jesus is not simply another prophet, you know, in the line of many prophets? He's not just a friend. He's someone before whom one falls face down, saying, my life is in your hands. When you think you're going to die before someone, you are saying, my life is in your hands. Jesus is clothed with the majestic glory of his Father, and he's coming back. And Jesus, therefore, should be our ultimate reality, shouldn't he? That shapes our lives. We think what we think, what we say, how we say it, what we do, how we relate to each other, what we live for, how we live for it. Because Jesus now is our life. Who do you listen to? What you listen to will shape your life. Well, this week I happened to have a, a quick chat with a, a Christian mom, not, not from Grace International, and she was concerned with her son. One day her teenage son came from school and said to his parents, children's lives are like iceberg, you know, a, a very philosophical start. The visible part of the iceberg is what we have to do but the invisible part underwater is what you want us to do. But we don't have to do this. Why should we respect our teachers at school? You know, etc. And then the list went on. They are just the same, just the same as us. Now the parents humbly listened to their son. And then they asked, where did you hear all this? It was a very short answer. TikTok. He was clearly not listening to the scriptures, but his smartphone, wasn't he? That made him think he's God. But God says, this is my son. Listen to him. But what exactly should we listen to? Yes, it is everything that Jesus has been teaching in the Matthew's gospel, yes, like Sermon on the Mount, starting from chapter 5, how we should be salt and light, how we should not be angry at our brother or look lustfully at another man's wife or um, a woman's husband, how we should love our enemies and be generous, all of it, yes. But I think we should particularly listen to Jesus' words about suffering. Because you see, Jesus is also God's suffering king. This is the second point. Jesus is God's suffering king. The, the bit that I left out on purpose is there in verse 5 in our key verse. Look, with whom I am well pleased. This does not just mean that God the Father is, you know, happy and proud about how Jesus is getting on here on earth. No, there is a much precise meaning to this quotation from Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 starts the, the, the sequence of the, the, the songs called the servant songs. And it talks about the servant of the Lord who is going to bear the punishment of God 
on behalf of God's people. And you see, Jesus wants Peter, James, and John to understand that he is not only God's glorious king, but also God's suffering servant king. I think that is what a rather cryptic dialogue, starting from verse 9 till 13, is about. You see, it is not hard to imagine how these three could draw the wrong conclusions from the mountain experience. You know, they were slain by the Father's voice and lifted up by Jesus' voice in verse 6. They could, include, they could conclude that glory is all that is going to await them. It, this is all about glory. You know, Son of Man, this glorious divine ruler from Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 7, who will inherit all the kingdoms of the earth and his rule is going to be forever. It's all glory from now. So Jesus actually, do you see? He forbids them to speak about their experience on the mountain till they get the full picture. And what is the full picture? After the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Because imagine how these guys are thinking as they're coming, coming you know, from the mountain. Jesus, it, it surely can't be the case. It can't be the case. What, what do you mean, Son of Man, raised from the dead? It can't be. What about Elijah? What about Elijah? He will make way for the glorious entry of the Messiah, right? Elijah, he's going to restore all things. Well, not really, says Jesus. You see, Elijah has already come. But they killed him. And they understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. Well, the point is, the pattern is clear. Like Elijah, like John the Baptist, Jesus too is going to suffer and die. Well, that's why Jesus forbids the disciples to talk about the glory until he's raised from the dead. They need to have the full picture the ultimate reality. Jesus is God's glorious king and God's suffering king at the same time. And those who follow him should listen to him, particularly about the pattern of Christian life. Uh, someone once showed me the cross um, that was around his neck. And, and then we talked about how it could get him in trouble back in his home country. And I thought that's exactly on point. That's exactly on point. If someone was bearing their cross in the first century, he was on his way to death. There's just no other options. If you carry the cross, you're going to die. And for Christians to bear his cross daily means to live with a mindset that this world is not the permanent residency. I'm not staying here. Heaven is my ultimate destination. And now think, think how weird it would be to come up to someone in the first century who's carrying their cross to, the ex to their execution place and on their way ask them, how is your career going? 
How are your early retirement plans so coming together? I mean, it would be rather insensitive, don't you think? It would be out of place. I talked to a Christian man the other day uh, who was seriously encouraging me to consider going for the fifth child. I mean, it's not Andres. It's not Andres. Andres does that, but it's not him this time. Uh, but the, his motivation was slightly different. He said, hey, that will get you an early retirement. In the age is 65 in Latvia, but when you have five children, it's 60. Well, I don't know about his motivation, but I'm not sure I would make it till the early retirement with the fifth. Um, but that's another story. Now, jobs are good, friends. Jobs are good. Uh, retirement is good. Rest and work, hard work, are essential. They're not bad. The thing is what you do with it. What you do with your hard work, what you do with your rest, that's what matters. Do you use it to live just for yourself and your little kingdom? Or you follow the suffering servant in being part of his glorious kingdom work? Now, I think I should say this. I am so blessed to be here. I'm so blessed to be in Grace International and see so many sacrificial examples. But, but let me just point out a few of them. You know, I'm thinking of our Roberts, Roberts H., uh, you know, and how he didn't slack off his retirement on the Miami beach, but moved to Riga and the Baltic beach to serve the church. Just so encouraging. Thinking of, you know, the lovely Kristofsky family who basically thought they're going to spend sabbatical year in Latvia, you know, exploring the, the, the fatherland, but slightly prolonged. Which year is it already? Oh, fourth year, way to go, great. Uh, pouring in their lives in so many of us daily. Yeah, thinking of, of Taylor who moved here to reach out to the outcasts, you know. He she wasn't scared off by the COVID and many, you know, setbacks in, in her ministry. And we know about Robert and Gina who, who have been there for, had been there for 12 years and now are still serving in the States. I'm truly humbled by all of these examples and many more taking up the cross daily, denying themselves, serving the King, King Jesus. Again, how does one end up not pursuing to gain the whole world? How? It will depend on whom you listen to, right? Whom do we listen to? Verse 5, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Friends, we need the full picture of the ultimate reality. Jesus is glorious king. But Jesus is also a suffering king. But why did it have to be this way? I mean, why did Jesus have to suffer in order to end up in glory? Well, the answer is, I think, in verse 17, and that brings us to my third point. Who suffers because of the unbelief of his people? Jesus suffers because of the unbelief of his people. From verse 15, we see a suffering father, a really desperate man whose son was on his way to destruction, 
the demon was throwing him in fire and in water. Now, the disciples were specifically commissioned to deal with those sorts of situations back in chapter 10. That was their job, to cast out demons, etc. But we see that they are unable to help this father. And now listen to Jesus' verdict, verse 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Well, we have to understand here that Jesus is again echoing and referring to some big big truths from the Old Testament. That Jesus echoes actually the faith, faithlessness of God's people in Exodus 32. As Moses was coming down the mountain, what did he find? He found the worship of the golden calf, not, not Yahweh. The point is that nothing has changed. The people of Israel are just as faithless and twisted as their ancestors. And we would think, right, but these, these, the disciples are different, right? They are in a different category. And notice how the disciples are actually included into the unbelieving and perverse generation. They don't depend on God. They don't depend on God's king. Why could the disciples do nothing? Verse 20, because of their lack of faith. And that is why Jesus insists on dying before entering into glory. Why? To save his faithless, twisted, and hard-hearted people. You see, that is the only way to enter the kingdom, to enter the glory. There is no other way. See again how much better than Moses, Jesus is. Now, when, when God saw the wicked golden calf worship at the Mount Sinai, he wanted to destroy Israel. So Moses interceded. He prayed that God would not destroy these guys. But Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus himself took the place of the wicked, of the twisted people, on the cross, and bore God's punishment for their sins, for our sins. Jesus is the glorious king. He, doesn't, he didn't have to suffer and die. He didn't have to. And yet he set aside his glory and suffers in place of you and in place of me. We just think, isn't that liberating? Isn't that truly liberating for all who constantly fail to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and serve the Lord Jesus and his people? I think it's liberating. Isn't it encouraging to know that Jesus is right here with us in our failure to listen to him daily? As we get you know, beaten and cast down, by the deceptive promises of the device in our hands. Jesus is there, and he says, verse 6, get up. He says a similar words that he said to his disciples, get up, don't be afraid, you silly child. 
Just keep listening. Keep listening to scriptures. Not smartphones. I want you to see the ultimate reality. The glory of the risen Son of God. Who is worthy of you denying yourself. Taking up your cross daily. And serving the servant king. Why? In order to gain life later. In order to enter the kingdom later. When I come into my father's glory with his angels. Jesus is coming back. So let's hear the father's voice from the cloud one more time. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's pray briefly. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do confess that we stand together with those disciples, even with Peter, John, and James, who really needed to see and keep needing to see your glory, your radiant splendor and majesty, and who needs to hear the Father's voice from heaven daily, this is my beloved Son. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Father, we are sorry that in our today life we listen to so many different things that come out of our devices in our hands. We flick aimlessly, mindlessly, surf through internet, taking in so much rubbish, so much untruth. So, Father, please refocus our minds, our hearts, our worship of the glorious the suffering king who suffered your punishment in our place. Father, please fill us with your spirit to joyfully serve your king and your people daily as we encourage one another to do just that here at Grace International. In his name we pray. Amen.